0: The wolves are the gift that keeps on giving. Hello everyone, it is Scoop Podcast episode 178 being recorded on Thursday afternoon. The 11th of October. ESPN's Bobby Marks will join in just a second. Plus, we'll get into some other non-Wolves topics, including a conversation with Adam Thielen's business partner slash trainer. And we'll catch up with Glenn Caruso, St. Thomas head coach. there's ever a week to talk to Glenn, I think this one makes some sense. Hitting into Saturday, Collegeville. St. Thomas against St. John. St. John's, of course, playing with heavy hearts. After the passing of John Gallardi, the legend John Gallardi at 91 years old, the funeral is on Monday. Let me first tell you about Fair State Brewing. They help bring you the Scoop Podcast. So does my MyBookie, MyBookie.com. I'll tell you about MyBookie in just a bit, but I'll start with Fair State Brewing before we get to Bobby Marks. I'm so grateful that Fair State Brewing is back on board, a longtime supporter of the Scoop Podcast Fair State Brewing Cooperative is the Upper Midwest's first member-owned brewery. They specialize in delicious sours, lagers, and hoppy ales. And this month, the month of October, they have re-released Mirror Universe, a double dry-hopped hazy IPA brewed with wheat, Oats and Citra Mosaic and El Dorado Hops. It was a limited offering in the spring, so maybe you had a chance to try Mirror Universe, and now it is available year round. Look for Mirror Universe at your local bars and liquor stores, or stop by the tap room in Northeast Minneapolis at Lowry and Central. It is Fair State Brewing. Oh, my mouth is watering just thinking about downing a Fair State beer. Love Fair State Brewing. All right, let's get to Bobby Marks, ESPN analyst, insider. He spent 20 years working in the NBA, including the last five years before he joined ESPN, as the Nets' assistant general manager. So he's been in the belly of the beast. He's been a part of some big transactions, some big trades, some big blow-ups in practice. He has intimate knowledge of the collective bargaining agreement. He is as good as it gets. It is Bobby Marks. Bobby, thanks for your time. My idea was to have have you on again after a Jimmy Butler trade took place but I mean this is this is just too good. I mean from an entertainment standpoint I mean you can't top this. I mean what was your reaction when on Wednesday you heard about all the shenanigans that Jimmy Butler pulled off?
1: Well my my first reaction is that I, I think I probably have seen and heard a lot worse than what was reported in practice but not based on the circumstances that are going on. Um, I mean we've certainly I've certainly been a lot of practices where there's been some altercations and there's been some, you know, back and forth. Um, but based on, you know, Butler making it well known that uh, he would like to be traded, um, him not being there for, you know, the first week of, of camp and then showing up for practice and then, um, you know, then what was reported uh, yesterday, yeah, you, you you can't make that up. And then you and then you follow it up with, um, you know, with them canceling practice on, on, on Thursday. So we're kind of in a... Uh, it's kind of we're back to square one here. We're we're in that holding pattern. Where uh, is Butler going to be moved within the next forty eight to seventy two hours, or is Jimmy Butler going to be on the, you know, the opening day roster when they get going next uh, next week here?
0: And we'll get into that layer in just a second. When you say you've seen some crazy things and heard some crazy things at practice, I mean. Heck, right? I mean, you were around Kevin Garnett. So, I mean, those listening, those who are passionate about the Wolves, none of that should be surprising. But, yeah, you're right, considering the circumstances. And, I mean, just in my mind that this was, this was calculated, right? I mean, not to say that KG maybe didn't blow a gasket and he knew exactly what he was doing, but maybe there was a genuineness to when KG went at some teammates. This, to me, what took place on Wednesday, Bobby, this was all a charade. I mean, this was all premeditated by Jimmy when he walked into that gym.
1: Yeah, and I and I think it, when you look at you know he didn't have really have much leverage going into re, getting, you know getting back to uh, Minnesota to report. You know, there I mentioned it um, you know or, you know earlier in the week where you know if he, he if he wanted to hold out, um, you know, there's a clause in the CBA that basically if, if you hold out for more than thirty days, that there's a you know the chance that he would lose his free agency next year. So. For, for, for Butler's standpoint, you know, where is my leverage to try to force Minnesota's hand? And, you know, your leverage is going into practice and acting like he he did yesterday where you're taking, you know, your your third unit and you are dominating your starters. Um, you are, you know, you are going after your, you know, your coaching staff and you in your front office. And, you know, an interesting part is that, you know, from what the report said, he didn't even finish practice. You know, he just basically walked
0: Mm-hmm. Oh gym, yeah, that's true.
1: You know, oh, yeah. and then that was it. And then all and then, you know, the um you know, the Rachel Nichols interview last night, which was great. Um, you know, uh so yeah, I think I think if you are Butler and, and um and Jimmy's representatives, you are trying to send a clear message to ownership where, hey, is this how you want it to be going forward? Um, and does you know does Glenn Taylor now kind of step in and say hey know I can't go into the regular season like this but I I do think it would be a little bit you know preseason is one thing you know when we're practicing and the days leading up to the regular season but I think if Butler's still on the roster come you know Monday or Tuesday um, when the Brightlands go on and, and the you know when you got to you know go out there play regular season games I don't I don't see there being a um, you know any. You know on encore all through I, you know I think the professionalism of Jimmy Butler will go out there and compete and stuff you know the question would be what happens when you get off to an 0 four star an 0-5 star and I think that's kind of where you know if you're if you're in the front office in Minnesota that's kind of where you're looking at um you know the downside of of uh, Butler with, uh, with with this group here
0: how much bad advice do you think Jimmy is getting whether it's from his agent who knows his chef his trainer I mean just his general camp I mean he's got a lot of handlers.
1: I, I think the renegotiation. You know, we've talked about it before. I, I think you know. I think a lot of it has to be about a money play here. I think, you know, and I. Uh, you know, it's funny. I mentioned it. Um, you know, Rachel Nichols when she did the interview with Jimmy Butler mentioned it, and he, you know, and he that he was eligible to renegotiate, and he did say yes. That came into play, but it wasn't the only factor. And I, you know, mentioned it, um, you know, on Twitter that, you know, basically how the how the Timberwolves finances had li- had lined that. You know, they they really had to once they did the Butler trade, they would have had to probably not sign Jeff Teague or um, Taj Gibson. You would have had to held off on that Wiggins extension, and you would have probably been a lottery team last year. But you know, Jimmy would have been able to get his money to this year. And, I, and if you're at a front office, that's not something you wanted to do. And um, I, I really believe that his representatives and Butler thought that there was a renegotiation coming into play um, this summer here, where he was going to be able to get close to a max. And then, but my question is, is that if okay that if that's the case, then why wouldn't you want to just wait until the summer of 19 when you can get five years at 190 or four years at 140? Mm -hmm. You know, I had a little bit of a a Twitter—I don't want to say Twitter war, but a Twitter beef with Bernie Lee this morning, oh, <laughs> this morning where he scolded me on 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 Twitter about the renegotiation oh, aspect geez. of it. And I, hey, I get it. You're you're trying to protect your your client there, He's, but yeah, I just, don't get me I, going
0: on Bernie Lee, Bobby. Don't <laughs> please don't.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I, on the renegotiation, you know, I was you know I was always in the belief that there, you know, there wasn't going to be one in play just based on how the how the T. Wolves finances were in order. And, if you know, if the, you know for Jimmy Butler, the, the best result would have been, um, you know, signing a long-term contract next summer, the summer of 19. And, uh, and, I, and I still believe that's kind of been the driving force behind, um, you know, we can make out the Wiggins and the Towns and, you know, um, the fit there and, his, you know, the lack of desire that maybe he feels for both players. But when it comes down to it, I, I still think this is, this is totally a money play right now.
0: Sure, and I suppose he, Bernie, can point at whether it's Boogie Cousins, Isaiah Thomas. I mean, there is some risk playing out a season. But Jimmy, to me, Bobby, he can't have it both ways. It can't be about money because he said that was accurate. When Rachel laid out the question in that Wednesday interview, he said, quote, it is accurate when she brought up the money angle, but then he says he wants to win more than anything. You have to be realistic. I mean, how far under the cap would the Wolves had to have gotten to to give him more money, and if they did that, they would have they would have had to tear down the roster. So if Jimmy is all about winning, you can't have you know what I'm saying, Bobby, you can't have it both ways, the money and the winning.
1: Well, you're right. I mean, you would have, you know, Butler makes twenty million dollars, the max for you know, a player like his um, you know, in his years of service, like a Paul George's, you know, right around thirty. So you would have had to been at the minimum $10 million below the cap, um, you know, I mean, you basically would have had not had to sign, you know, Jeff Teague or Tosh Gibson. Uh, you probably would have had to trade Andrew Wiggins. The, the Wiggins, you know, extension and Wiggins cap hold that last, uh, you know, was $22 million. His, his max number is, you know, right around twenty five. So, yeah, he added a little bit of money there. The cat extension really has nothing to do with finances. You know, I mean, that's going, that's for the future here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if, if he wanted to, re, if the Timberwolves wanted to renew Negotiate, You would have probably had Tyus Jones running point for you. Um, you probably would have had Towns and Jang as your, for, your front court. And you probably would not have had a, a Gibson and, and, uh, and Jeff Teague. And you would have been in the lottery again last summer. So I, I don't get the whole, you know, yes, I want to win, but I also want to get my, my money. If you want to do both, your best bet was wait until the summer of 2019 when you were going to be a free agent.
0: Another part I don't get. I mean, he talks about how he's so passionate about this game. Then, Bobby, where was he the last handful of weeks? Where was he the last three weeks? If he misses the game so much, if he loves the game so much, he's so passionate about the game. Where were you the last three weeks?
1: Well, yeah, right. I mean, the the, the, the smart play here when we when we get when we when we look at the root of it all would have been him to express what he his desire to be moved. Let him know that he was not going to be traded. But to come to camp with the understanding that down the road, before the February, you know, seventh trade deadline, that there would be a deal in place. In the worst case scenario, is that you're probably on a 50 win team that's going to win, that's going to finish top six in the West, and you're going to be a, a, a playoff team here. And to show up, and I've and I've said all along, you know, hey, I, I was part of that Nets front office in, 10, in 2010 with when we dealt with Denver with uh, with Carmelo Anthony. You know, and Carmelo, although he wanted to be traded, still showed up. I mean, he still showed up to that Denver team and, mm-hmm. and, and got that team to the, you know, they were a playoff team when he was traded and they were a playoff team afterwards. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't get the, uh, the concept of him not being around his guys, um, if that's what, you know, if that was the long-term desire.
0: And you, were, you would have been in the Nets front office, right, when you were trying to negotiate? I mean, weren't you guys trying to acquire Melo back, back in 2010? We were.
1: You know, and that started right before um right before training camp. You know, similar to where and I know, you know, with the more that's coming out of the Jimmy Butler um situation is that it was, you know, um reiterated I guess after the season or in early July about his intentions going forward. But yeah, with Mello it was really right before training camp and that process took, you know, four I guess four or five months that and then he was eventually traded to um it was eventually traded to New York. But, yeah, I mean, the trades are not easy, and especially in this situation here where if you're the Timberwolves front office and you have a certain asking price that you are looking for um, and you are trying to get into the playoffs because there are a lot of jobs at stake, including the head coach and that front office there. Um, you're, and I said yesterday, you're trying to hold on to Jimmy Butler as long as you can. Um, but then the other side of it is that you know how long can you wait before things become more toxic than, than what it is right now?
0: Is it possible for it to get more toxic?
1: Well, I mean, unless there's going to be uh, you know a fight in that locker room, I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty toxic. Uh, it's as, as toxic as it can be, and I and that goes back to the point where you know I mentioned it last night is that and yeah, I think we can probably spread a little bit of blame to a lot of different people. If you're the Timberwolves front office and you are Tom Thibodeau and you're Scott Layden and you had you had Jimmy Butler and, and chicago for you know what five or six years you know the mentality of jimmy butler you had um andrew wiggins and carl anthony towns for a year mm-hmm. you know before you do that trade the one thing you have to ask yourself and ask the people in the room is, is how is butler's personality going to work with your young people young players and will that mix is the chemistry aspect of it and i think what happens a lot is with front offices that You talk yourselves into into some of these trades here, where you you think, yes, yeah, oh yeah, Jimmy could fit with these guys. You know, he can turn them. You know, maybe they're a little bit soft. Maybe he can give them a little bit of an edge. And hey, I saw it firsthand when we did the Boston trade in 2013, when we had Darren Williams who. You know, was not the most confident player in the world, and by getting um, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Jason Terry, we thought, hey, these guys would be great influences on them. And that trade turned into you know into a toxic trade because it was you know it was the it was the opposite. You know, Williams went into a shell uh, of himself because of how you know demanding both those you know Pierce and Garnett were. And I think you know looking back at you know this Minnesota thing, this Minnesota trade back in sixteen, I think. You you know, you almost kind of got fooled a little bit because of the Thibodeau Butler relationship that he could fix, you know, whatever underlying problems there were with, with Anthony Towns and and uh, with Wiggins.
0: I mean you're right. I mean the Wolves are certainly not blameless in this equation. I mean, heck, you're talking about taking the temperature of the room? I mean, that's part of the issue. I mean, there's no sense whatsoever that Tibbs and Leyden actually take the temperature of, you know, whether it's the assistant general manager, others in that front office. So I mean that's that's one issue. Also on on not being you know, blameless in this equation. I mean, heck, here today, Thursday, Bobby, the Wolves cancel practice. They're just going to let the Jimmy interview speak for itself. I mean, what sort of advice would you give the Wolves organization? Would it make some sense to get in front of this story, whether it's holding a news conference today, at least releasing a statement? Heck, maybe come out and announce, you know what? Jimmy Butler is suspended. Conduct detrimental to the team. I mean, if you were the Wolves, what advice would you give them?
1: Uh, I would have gotten in front of it um I understand yeah maybe maybe it is that you do not have practice today that you kind of let you know you kind of clear the room but I think if you are Tom Thibodeau who is the face of the you know the basketball operations department he's in charge they paid him a lot of money to be the front the the the, uh, the face of that 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 department and that organization there's that you need to get in front of it you know maybe if, if there wasn't a um an interview last night um you know maybe you can get away with it but i think this this butler interview is going to linger until what tomorrow afternoon easily until you you know until you until you have practice until you addressed it and i mean how forefront are you going to be with it there i mean and in, in, in the interview i mean jimmy was confident that he was going to be at, that there was going to be a practice that he was going to be at practice I know. on yeah. on on thursday here so it wasn't like you know practice ended and you know there wasn't going to be one, but yeah, I think you you know the, the, the more it lingers, uh, the more damage it does, and I think you, you yeah, I mean I don't expect anything to happen um, you know on on Thursday as far as something to be out in front of it, um, but I think if I was if I was ownership and if I was advising the front office, I think you need to be in front of it, and if I was if I was at PR department, I would I would advise to get in front of this.
0: Another quote from the Butler conversation with Rachel, I'm hoping that you can you can help interpret this for me. Quote, it's all about saying we need you. We want you here. We can't do this without you. And that was the disconnect all along. You're saying one thing, and you're saying it, and you're saying it. I mean, I've learned enough times in life that saying something is completely different than acting upon it. Actions speak louder than words. And I'll just add this, Bobby. I mean, I think they, and and to a degree, I, I suppose you do this with any star. I mean, Jimmy on the court is a star, but Bobby, they coddled him. They did everything for him. So I'm not quite sure what the heck he means when he's not seeing the action. I don't know what else the Wolves could have done. Do you have any idea what the heck he's talking about there?
1: Well, I mean, I think the injury last year spoke for itself. I mean, if you're Jimmy Butler, you realize, yes, they do need you. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty evident when you're not on the court, they are not as a good of a team, and I think it, it's it's pretty clear there. Um, you know, is it, um, as I say, the in-house recruiting, you know? I mean, you said they've coddled him since they've, they've acquired him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because he has a relationship with Tom Thibodeau doesn't mean he's a lock to return there. So, yeah, I mean, I think... If you're the, if you're the front office, and from what I understand is that they've made a full court press to retain him. It wasn't going to be a two year, um, you know, acquisition and then he was going to go out and free agency. So you give up, you gave up a lot in, uh, marketing Levine and, uh, Chris Dunn you know, for a player that's going to be here for the long haul, not for a, a, a two-year stint here. So, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, maybe we look back on that. He looks at, hey, Andrew Wiggins, Wiggins got paid last summer. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns got paid this summer. But as we said earlier in, in the conversation, the realistic realistically, Jimmy Butler was going to have to wait here. I mean, there was, there was no there was no room for renegotiation unless you really wanted to clear the deck. And I think I think that's kind of where everything is kind of, you know, where things are missing right now.
0: On medical records being exchanged, I mean, how often does a trade not happen when medical records are exchanged?
1: Rarely. I mean, we've, you know, and I was the point person in, in Brooklyn and New Jersey. Yeah, when you get, when you start to exchange medical records, and insurance information that is you're basically at the goal line there and impending, you know, anything of a hold up, um, you know, that's uh you know, that's that's basically the last step in before you actually get on the conference call there with the with the NBA. So yeah, that's a that's a rare occurrence. I think maybe it happened to um to us once in um in New Jersey or in Brooklyn that, you know, we were close to doing a deal and I think Billy me and Billy King both woke up at the same time in the middle of the night and got cold feet. <laughs> over it yeah. and, you know, kind of pull the plug um, then. But, yeah, it's it's very rare when you start exchanging medical and
0: uh, insurance information. So am I nuts to think that these talks can still, I mean, they can still come to some sort of agreement that Miami and Minnesota are still engaged in talks that, that maybe we'll have some news here in the, in the foreseeable future that a trade does I, happen?
1: I think so because I think Jimmy Butler's too good of a player if you're Miami to kind of walk away from the table. Uh, and I think where the heat are in their situation next summer, where they do not have cap space to go out and get a jimmy Butler and if you are looking at kind of what you are trying willing to offer if it is a Josh Richardson, then it's a matter of what are, are going to be the other pieces here. I think the interesting part is is that you know the, the Butler magic number, if you're the heat is around sixteen point four million that's what you have to send back in contracts and and Josh is you know a little bit north of nine, so there's there would have to be some other players involved here. So, you know, but if you're Miami, it's kind of, you know, what my offer was over the weekend is kind of going to be what my offer is going to be today, what it's going to be to t- tomorrow. I mean, we we know what they have to offer. I mean, it's it's basically Richardson in a combination of, you know, Olinick or Deon Waiters here, you know, is Minnesota comfortable as far as you know, taking back those long-term contracts. Certainly Josh, yes, because he's a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hard part, too, is both both these, you know, Minnesota's right around the luxury tax. They're about a million three o- uh, under. Miami's over. So the goal is, is probably not to add too much salary for, for both situations.
0: I mean, if you're Minnesota, if you could get Richardson, Kelly Olnick, and, and a future first, I mean, that to me is a no-brainer. Now, there was the report from the New York Times in the last 48 hours that owner Glenn Taylor nixed some combination of Richardson, a future first and cap filler. I'm told he did not, you know. But there's so much conflicting information. It's it's even to the point of Bobby. I don't know who to believe. Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't even know for sure if Josh Richardson is officially on the table.
1: Well, you're right. I mean, originally Rick Richardson was not was basically a non-starter here. But when you look at what what is being, I do believe he is now that he you know that he is part of the. Uh, part of the you know the, the the you know this trade discussion here, but it's it's basically what are the other pieces here? I mean, I think if you're Miami, certainly Waiters would be a player that you'd like to get rid of, but mm-hmm. I just think his contract, I think his contract's too toxic. I know Kelly's got a longer a long contract, and James Johnson has. But those guys have proved, you know, last couple of years that they're they're serviceable. I know James is hurt right now, but Kelly can at least come in and give you some um, good minutes at, at at the forward position. But you're right. I mean, if you can get and, and you know Josh Richardson, who I voted as one of the, the top 25 players under the age of 25 last year, and has got a great contract, Linux in a you know some type of first, that is probably as good as a deal that you are going to get from any team out there.
0: I mean, I do wonder if that's the holdup, that Miami is insisting that the Wolves take Dion Waiters, who with three years left, I mean, that's just not a contract you want.
1: No, it isn't. And if you are – and you know the hard part, too, Darren, is that there's nobody out there at a cap space right now. I mean, basically, San, Sacramento is your kind of your lone team that's got $11 million in room. So even if you wanted to find a third team to take on Waiters or another player – there's just nobody out there. I mean, this is one of those rare years that we don't have four or five teams. If we did, there'd probably be a bidding war to take that money back if there's some type of asset there and and that's why it's hard to do a you know one you know you know a two team deal right now.
0: I'll let you go after two more talking points. Did you see the comments from the Rockets owner to s b nation? <laughs> I mean, that has tampering written all over it, right?
1: Yeah, I would expect at a minimum we're going to probably see a wooden magic at 500000 Yeah, you know, for the Paul George stuff. That was a novice owner um, who this is, uh, I don't want to say his first go around, it because he has been the owner for I think about a year now. But yeah, that has, uh, that has tampering written all over it, and I'm sure he did not mean to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure when he read it, he said, uh-oh. But yeah, I would expect a, I would expect a fine pretty soon on that.
0: I'll let you go after this. Oh, by the way, the season does start next week. Non-Wolves, or who knows, maybe the Wolves are the answer to this. But but throw me a team or two that maybe not a lot of people are talking about right now that you're excited to watch that have a chance to be pretty good this year.
1: I think Milwaukee in the East, based on the Mike Boonehoser effect um, with this group, with, with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton as far as, you know, they've kind of been that I guess that that you know mediocre team on the treadmill you know always going to win in the 40s there but never can get out of the first round what what type of impact does he have um you know with that group there I think that that's the team um for me at least in the uh, in the east to watch um I think in in the in the west to watch I think is going to be fascinating is New Orleans um just <laughs> based on we're starting to hear a little bit of the, the rumor, the Anthony Davis rumors about the future. He switched over, um, you know, agents to Rich Paul, who has LeBron. Um, I factor this year as probably the most important year in, in, in Pelicans history because of you know how that team is built. Uh, Davis is supermax eligible next summer. Um, they have the possibility to add, have cap space to add another player to join him there. Um and what impact does the Rondo departure now you swap with Elfred Payton have on, on this group here. So I think I think Milwaukee in the East, probably not the sexy names in New Orleans and the in the and the West, just based on a lot of those
0: different factors. I thought New Orleans was an under the radar team to watch on the butler front.
1: You know what's what's hurt them is is that you know the Solomon Hill contract is not very desirable. He's got two years left. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is out there? You know, you've got some, you know, Etwan Moore, guys like that. Um, you know, certainly probably not going to move Drew Holiday Davis. No. Um, they signed some players that this summer that are not, um, you know, that are not, um, you know, eligible to be traded. Uh, Julius Randles, to, to, you know, a name there. But they, they still have all their picks there. I think if you're, if you are, uh, Del Demps, general manager, and you have any type of fear that, um, Anthony Davis could leave, Uh, I think you can probably be a little bit more aggressive in in the Butler sweepstakes. And
0: I'll leave you with this, Bobby. I mean, would you bet, I mean, if you had to bet, Jimmy Butler, do you think he ends up in Miami?
1: I do. Because I just look at the landscape right now. You know, the teams that were on the the, the original list, New York, Brooklyn, the Clippers, uh, teams like that are not going to, you know, kind of ante up and kind of push their chips to the middle. So we eliminate those teams. I think the best case for, and I've mentioned it before, for Minnesota is to try to find a team that can bid with Miami, but I just don't see that team out there, you know? And I, so I think when, we, when we, at the end of the day, um, the likelihood will be Miami, unless there's some dark horse team that we all don't know about.
0: I just don't think at this point, with everything that's been leaked, I just don't think that team is out there. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I guess never say never, but I would be pretty surprised if, if there's a team that's completely flying under the radar in this.
1: Uh, I I agree. I I do agree with that, and I think you know in, in ending, it's like that's why you know we we're you know about to start the season here. You know this this situation could have been probably addressed in the summer, and I think it would have given you a little bit of a bigger playing field than you know kind of right now where when where everybody's kind of boxed in in a corner.
0: Well, and, you know, and I was going to let you go, but, I mean, that's just another layer to this where where Tibbs on media day, I guess it would have been, what, September, whatever it was, a few weeks ago that Monday, September 24th or whatever it was, he's saying that the first time he heard of Jimmy's trade request was on September 18th. Jimmy's claiming that he made the request four days after the season, so clearly somebody is lying. Now, maybe it's a game of semantics. Maybe Jimmy dropped hands. Heck, he didn't even fly back with the team after the game five playoff loss in Houston, he flew to LA, he didn't fly back to Minnesota. So there were all sorts of signs that Jimmy wanted out. But who knows, maybe Tibbs maybe Tibbs is telling the truth. I don't know. I mean that's just that's another layer to this just circus.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's there's a difference between uh, you know, Jimmy Butler in July or at the end of the season kind of expressing his concerns and about his uncertainty going forward than asking to be traded a week before the season here. And I think if you're, you know, the Tom Thibodeau and, you know, when Butler expressed those concerns based on your prior relationship with him, you're thinking is, hey, I can fix it. I know Jimmy Butler. I know what he needs here. Um, and that's probably what maybe has, you know, has cost the Timberwolves here is that maybe this situation wasn't fixed and that, you know, you, you kind of played a game of chicken with, with Butler and you, and you got burned a little bit here.
0: Bobby, always appreciate your excellent insight. Thank you so much for, for giving us so much time. I appreciate it. Thank you. From ESPN, former Nets assistant general manager Bobby Marks, piggybacking on some things we talked about with Bobby. I love Mark Stein. Mark Stein, formerly of ESPN, the Dallas Morning News, now at the New York Times, is A+. plus. I invited Mark on the podcast. Unfortunately, he never got back to me. I'm just hearing what he reported the other day that Wolves owner Glenn Taylor nixed a trade that included Josh Richardson, a future first, and Cap Filler. Now, if it was Dion Waiters, I understand why the Wolves would pause on that, but I'm told Glenn Taylor has not nixed a trade at this point. In fact, now, I think after Wednesday, things change, but I was told into Wednesday morning that Glenn was still deferring to Tom and Scott, to Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden on all trade fronts, that he's had some conversations, but he's still pushing it on them to find a suitable trade. Now, again, after the shenanigans on Wednesday, I can see that possibly changing. But I can just tell you, bottom line, I have this sourced out. No, Glenn Taylor did not nix a trade that would have included Josh Richardson, cap filler, and a future first-round pick. The Clippers were cited in the conversation with Bobby. I'm told in the last four to six to eight days, the Clippers have not engaged the Wolves in conversations. In fact, there's a few teams in a similar boat. Let me read you what I got from one league executive. He is an executive with an Eastern Conference team that reached out initially on Jimmy, but hasn't shown much interest since. His point was... Our conversations with them were specific and rely on them coming back. We aren't pursuing anything at this time. What he means is that the Wolves know the parameters of the deal that they can make with this particular team. It's on the Wolves to reach back out to them. So that's the boat that we're in. As I said with Bobby, or at least brought up to Bobby, would you bet on Miami still? I think when you exchange medical records when, to use the football cliche, you're on the five-yard line, I get the sense that those talks are not dead. Those talks will be ongoing still, that they can find some sort of happy medium here at some point, and the Wolves and Heat can complete a trade. Some other Wolves notes. I keep hearing a lot of good things behind the scenes about Josh Okogie. Now, whether Tom Thibodeau decides to play Josh remains to be seen, but that he has opened eyes, that he is even further along, then they thought, and they had a healthy opinion of him in the pre-draft process, then of course taking him in the draft, but they are thrilled with josh's development on tyus jones the deadline to extend tyus is next week if no extension is reached he'll be a restricted free agent in the summer there have been no talks talks are non-existent so unless something changes dramatically no extension for tyus jones andrew wiggins in a recent instagram pic was wearing nikes his adidas shoe contract is up i am told He is a shoe-free agent. He has not signed with Nike. He does have some Nikes that he's been wearing at different points. He hasn't worn Nikes in a game yet, but he is still sitting out there for some shoe company to gobble up. So don't read too much into that Instagram pic with Wiggins wearing Nikes. Scout Tim Buckley was at Vanderbilt's Pro Day the other day. The Wolves send scouts to all these pro days. Nevada had one recently. Kentucky's was over the weekend. Reed Travis of Minneapolis. He worked out for the Wolves in the pre-draft process. Didn't hire an agent, so was able to go back to school. Graduate transfer from Stanford to Kentucky. Can't wait for Kentucky and Duke. We had Trey Jones on the podcast a few weeks ago when he was home with the Hurricane. And we talked to Trey, and Trey was pumped. He can't wait for that opening game. Kentucky against duke so much nba talent will be on the floor including reed travis including trey jones who has nba talent we'll get to some twins managerial notes in just a second but let me tell you about my bookie mybookie.com online you know ever since i started this podcast now going back over two and a half years people ask me for advice hey who's going to win this weekend who should i start in my fantasy lineup and truth be told i can pretend like i have the answers I really don't have the answers, but many people do, and heck, if you think you're one of those people that has the answers, hey, go to my MyBookie, mybookie.com. You can win. You play. You win. You get paid. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I recommend My Bookie. If you don't trust me, heck, I hope you do. But if you don't, go online, go to Google, type in My Bookie, MyBookie.com, reviews. You will see stellar reviews. I would only recommend, I promise, a service to my listeners that's been good to me. And how about this offer? My bookie is slammed with new betters. That's a good thing, right? So they want to give everyone the best service possible. So if you're willing to deposit after 6 p.m. Central Time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Use the promo code SCOOP, promo code SCOOP to activate the offer. Also, if you join now, My Bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. MyBookie.com. M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. MyBookie.com. Use the promo code scoop. They will take care of you. You play, you win, you get paid. It should be another fun weekend of football and you can bet on so many different things. We're not just talking about the money line or the point spread, you can bet on individual players, how they will do and so much more. Check it out. It is mybookie.com. All right, let's get to some Twins notes. It seems they are casting a pretty wide net on the managerial front. I hear that Brandon Hyde, Cubs bench coach, and Rocco Baldelli, field coordinator for the Rays, will interview in the coming days slash weeks slash two weeks. Also, Pat Murphy, Brewers bench coach. I'm told internally, at least, it hasn't gotten to the point of scheduling an interview. Plus, heck, he's busy, right, with the NLCS. But anyway, I'm told internally the Twins have been doing their homework On Pat Murphy, the Star Tribune tossed out the names David Ross and Mark DeRosa. Yes, those two are very much on the Twins' radar, and there are other names. MLB Trade Rumors has been deadly accurate on arbitration numbers in recent years. The one obvious non-tender seems to be Robbie Grossman at $4 million. Even at $9.4 million, I expect Jake Odorizzi to be back. The Twins are now going on the record with the idea that we've talked about on this podcast going back a few months that they miscalculated, that the front office miscalculated having so many guys on expiring contracts, that one of the issues in that clubhouse, a big issue was it was a lot of me, 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 not enough team, the human element, so they can go with all the analytics they want. And heck, you look at the final four teams right now, all are driven by analytics, or at least... Partly driven by analytics. So analytics are a big part of, heck, the entire game, but certainly what the Twins want to do. But there is also a human element to this, and the front office miscalculated having so many guys on expiring deals. Certainly having Lance Lynn did them no favors. But he wasn't alone. Trust me, it's not worth just singling out him. He was not alone. Derek Falvey said in a conference call with some reporters earlier this week— that he anticipates being active early in free agency on the position player side. I'll advance that. They absolutely want Eduardo Escobar back. Now, whether he comes back remains to be seen. He is open-minded. I'm told, yes, he would come back or he's not devastated that they traded him to Arizona. But if another team blows him away with an offer, hey, so be it. This might be Eduardo's one opportunity to really cash in. But he is interested in coming back, and the Twins have interest in bringing back Eduardo Escobar. I can also tell you on the free agency front that I know an agent who represents a really good free agent. I won't say what position, but it's a position you can make a case that the Twins will have interest in. And this agent has circled the Twins. He gets the sense that the Twins are willing to spend a good amount of money this winter. Some injury updates. Pitcher Michael Pineda, who should be penciled in to be in the opening day rotation next year, is progressing nicely in his recovery from meniscus surgery. Eddie Rosario has no real persistent trouble with his quad. Normal off-season expected for Mr. Rosario. Hari Andrianza had successful surgery Tuesday for a labral tear. He should be good to go come spring training in February. Jason Castro coming back from his knee injury. He should be good, too. And Alberto Mejia will start throwing... In December, on Miguel Sano, I don't want to say much ado about nothing because, hey, he didn't have his ID. Hey, you can make the case and nothing good happens at 3 in the morning when you're at a nightclub, when you're leaving a nightclub. But it does sound like the accident with the police officer was just that. It was an accident. But I do know some twins people saying, oh, geez. I mean, does it ever stop with the guy? I mean, here we go again. But it doesn't sound like... He did anything criminally wrong outside of what the heck are you doing not having identification on you? All right, let's get to the Vikings. If you listen to this podcast religiously, you knew that Trey Waynes would be good to go this week. Waynes has overcome the concussion issues. He has passed the concussion protocol. He'll be back on the field Sunday at U.S. Bank Stadium against the Cardinals. Let's now get to Ryan Engelbert. He is a business partner of Adam Thielen's. He has trained Adam Thielen since Thielen came out of Minnesota State Mankato. Adam doing some historical things right now. What is it? His 48 catches, although Michael Thomas of New Orleans is one catch behind. But I saw the note in the Vikings notes when I was at TCO Performance Center on Wednesday. that no player in NFL history has had this many catches through the first five weeks of the season. Also, no receiver in NFL history, modern NFL history. The Super Bowl era has had five straight 100-yard games to start a season. So Adam Thielen doing some unbelievable things right now. I caught up with Ryan earlier in the week. Heck, nobody knows Adam better than Ryan. So here's some good Adam Thielen insight from Ryan Engelbert, ETS Performance. Ryan, I suppose, heck, Adam could do anything. and It's not really going to surprise you. But how eye-opening is it that he is the first player in the modern era, Super Bowl era, to start a season with five consecutive 100-yard games? You know, to be honest, it's not that eye-opening. The fact that he started the year with
2: five straight 100-yard games, knowing the type of player he is and the commitment he has, the fact that has never been done before, no, that surprised me a little bit. But it just goes to show the consistency of what he's been able to do. Um,
0: with obviously an amazing supporting cast around him, it's been fun to watch. On the commitment, I mean, expound on that. I mean, you're with him what 6 a.m. in the morning and what April, May, June, March, February. I mean, year-round. For sure, I'm with Adam year round. You know, Adam's been with me,
2: um, ETS, since he, he came out uh, from Mankato. So um, I've never been around a more committed athlete. You know, he's, uh, you know, week, you know the, the week after the season last year, after he gets back from the Pro Bowl, he's in the gym. We're planning that next step and how he can get better as a football player. So um, his commitment second to none. Um, but it's not surprising to see the, the success he's having, the results he's having, because he's got a ton of talent. Um, he's got the heart, obviously, and uh, he's putting in the work. Was the commitment level,
0: was the work ethic level always there right out of Mankato? Absolutely.
2: I mean, Adam's the same person now that he was, you know, six years ago when I met him. There's really no difference from his work ethic to the person he is on the field, off the field. Um, you know, he's faith-driven, family-driven. You know, football is next after that. You know, in those, um, you know, in that sequence. So it's it's so much been so much fun because he does put the work in each and every day, each and every week. You know, in the off season and the in season as well. And um, it's been fun to be a part of.
0: Of the six years that you've worked with him, where has he gotten better? I mean, he's always had the speed, right? Like at that regional. Conference, Combine he ran what a four 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 five so he always hit the speed, but in terms of the route running, his hands. I mean, where has he gotten better over the last six years on the field? For sure, I think it's a combination of everything. You know, he coming out of college,
2: you know, we got his forty time down in the four four range, which is blazing. I mean, that's that's a fast wide receiver. You know, and he's you know coming out, he's 180, 185 pounds, so he's gotten so much stronger as well. He's two oh five now. He's not a small receiver. He's a, he's a pretty big receiver, uh, but the way he can get in and out of breaks. So what we focus so much on is his ability to absorb force and just move so efficiently and. And, you know, I, I can sound biased in saying this, but he's the best route runner in the NFL, you know, and I really believe that. And it's because he can get in and out of his breaks so quickly. Um, he's always had great hands. He's always had the commitment, the work ethic. Um, but now he's just really putting everything together. And the, and the scary thing is, and I know Adam would admit, like, you know, he can still get better, and he will keep getting better um, because that's the kind of mindset that he has and the commitment that he has is he wants to get better each and every year. Where can he get better? I think he can continue to get stronger, to be honest. And I think if you asked him the same thing, like, he can continue to get stronger. Um, you know, he's... 28 years old he still has room to become a little bit more explosive and each and every year we've seen those, those uh, gains in the gym and then each and every year we've seen that translate to him putting up better numbers and helping his team more um, on the field so I do think that um, as good as he is I think there is always room for improvement he would take that same mindset.
0: How often do you watch a play and say heck we worked on that you know the way he placed his feet or whatever he did with his body hey we worked on that in February there it is on the field in October. I mean, I think, you know, with,
2: with being a, um, you know, so passionate in what I do and, and matching his passion with what he does, you know, everything we do from a training standpoint, we want to make sure there's some sort of um, how you can take that and move it to the field. So everything he does from a strength standpoint, a speed stuff, it's not just meant to, to run a fast 40 or to lift heavy weight or whatever the traditional type of strategies are and techniques are. It's how we can make him more efficient on the field. So um, we do see that quite a bit, but at the end of the day, you know, it's his God giving a billion, his hard work and. Dedication that is is helping the the results. Do you ever have to rein them in? That hey, Adam, you're almost overworking. Absolutely not, because that's, that's my job, you know, to make sure that, um, you know, during that off season that he's not overtraining. And, you know, Adams said the type of guy, he would go seven days a week, you know, and over the years now, he's, he's, uh, he's learned, you know, as I have too, but each and every year, every off season a little bit differently, to rest when he needs to rest, run his routes, do his route work when he needs to run his routes and do his route work. But, you know, really focusing on the training, that's going to help him, you know, really take it to that next level.
0: And he's always remained humble. I mean, you're right. I mean, he is the same guy that he was in Mankato. I mean, if you approach him at the state fair, at the Mall of America, right? I mean, there's no ego there. Absolutely not. And that's really the best part about this whole deal. I mean, anybody that knows Adam
2: knows that he's the same person he was five years ago, ten years ago. And, you know, with having worked with him for so long now and um, gotten really close with his wife Kate and, and being a part of um, you know her life as well and, and the little man as well, I mean, it's, it's been so much fun because good people you want to see reap the rewards and the benefits of what they're doing. And, um, and Adam is that example because he is that exact same person and um, keeps his priorities straight.
0: How much does Kirk Cousins compliment him? I mean, nothing against Case Keenum, but I don't know if he starts the year with five consecutive 100-yard games if Keenum is still the quarterback. For sure. I mean, I'm no analyst
2: of uh, quarterback play, but I know Adam was obviously very excited. And um, the connection and the synergy those guys have and, and, and Diggs as well right now, I mean, it's it's unbelievable to watch. Adam be the first person to tell you that it's not what he's doing, it's what his teammates are doing. You know, I think that's the biggest. And one of the coolest things about Adam is Adam doesn't want his name in, in the spotlight. Like, the fact that this is going to be he him as setting records. Like, I know Adam well enough to know that that makes him feel uncomfortable. He would much rather it be about the team um, and about the, the added pieces that are helping them win, win football
0: games. And a little bit more on that. I mean, the way that him and Diggs coexist, I mean, even at the end of the Eagles game, you see the shot on Fox of him putting his arms around Diggs. I mean, it's not like, you know, oh, I need to one up you. Or if it is like that, it's in a good way where they feed off of each other in a competitive way. Absolutely. It's, it's a brotherhood. Those guys are, are best friends on the field, best friends off the field.
2: Um, and I think that's one of the coolest things, too, is there is no ego um, between the two of them. And they're going to both compete um, as hard as they possibly can each and every Sunday, each and every day in practice, which is what allows them to do what they do on Sunday. So um, I think that's pretty special.
0: Let me ask you about the, the contract. I mean he's going to get more money eventually, but I mean what's your reaction when you hear that, you know, the Vikings have the most team friendly contract in the NFL when it comes to Adam? Um, you know, it is what it
2: is, right? I mean, Ad- Adam's not one to complain about those things. So um, him and I have never had conversation about that, nor do I see us ever having conversation about that. Adam's going to control what he can control, and that's every practice, every workout, every game. Um, and let the rest of that stuff take care of itself, because it usually does, and it'll work itself out one way or the other. But Adam's focus is on winning football games, helping this team win, um, and, and accomplishing their ultimate goal.
0: I mean, I suppose that's where the humbleness comes from, that, you know, deep down, I mean, he has to be forever grateful that the Vikings took that chance on. Him many years ago, and hey he's being compensated very well it 's not like he's getting paid peanuts absolutely you know and I,
2: I think uh, again, without speaking for him he, he's he's uh, he's earned everything he's gotten and, and he'll continue to earn whatever he gets in the future there's no question about that you know he he doesn't deserve anything he's earned it you know he's earned the praise he's earned it and as much as he doesn't like being in the spotlight um, and I know he would much rather reflect this to the team um, he, he's earned this, and uh, it'll be
0: fun to see the rest of the year play out and the rest of the rest of his career as well how proud are you when you see him make that nice donation to the children's hospital and everything he does from a charity standpoint so proud i mean that's that's who he is again um you know, if, if people that don't know Adam as well as
2: I do inside and out, like that, that's the type of person he is. He wants to impact. He wants to give back. He wants to help. I don't know. There's countless times he's come and he's, he's talked to our athletes and text our athletes and stuff that we're working with here. Obviously, he's a big part of ETS. Um, but that's the type of person he is. And uh, fame and fortune and, and money will never change that about him, which is is one of the things I respect more than anything about him. And um, its its uh, it's a lot of fun to see.
0: Ryan Engelbert, ETS training, Adam Thielen's trainer for the last six years, and recently Adam Thielen's business partner, offering up some incredible insight, great insight on one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I will add that yes, come next March, whether the Vikings are proactive or it's Adam Thielen's agent that starts the conversations, the Vikings know that they are stealing Adam Thielen at what approximately what three eight, three nine, four million dollars, somewhere in that range. He should be making nearly triple what he's making for the production that he is providing. And the Vikings are good at taking care of their own. Heck, he represents the organization so well. I would be surprised if sometime next year The Vikings don't renegotiate and give Adam Thielen a much deserved bump in salary. All right, just so this podcast doesn't go 60 minutes, I've got some notes I can save for episode 179 whenever I can get to that. So let's wrap up the podcast. We'll keep the football theme going. I was over at University of St. Thomas the other day. I caught up with football coach Glenn Caruso Saturday afternoon, St. John, St. Thomas. The setting is fantastic. If you've never seen a game in Collegeville, put it on your bucket list. Both teams are among the best in Division 3. This game certainly will go a long way in determining the playoff seating. So it should be great and it will be emotional after John Gallardi's passing, the legendary former St. John's coach. The funeral is on Monday. So I'm sure there's a lot of people coming in from out of town. That will be there for the game on Saturday, then the visitation on Sunday, then the funeral on Monday. So there will be many heavy hearts among the 20,000 plus expected on Saturday in Collegeville. So here is Glenn Caruso, the St. Thomas coach, on Gallardi facing St. John's and so on. Was it Saturday that you heard about John? Did you wake up Sunday and hear the news?
3: Uh, Saturday, um, some friends uh, that are close to the program had a conversation with Gary up there and he told me that it wasn't looking good. And um between gary and and mike grant uh they kind of kept me updated those 24 hours and uh finally heard it about four in the morning when i woke up on sunday to uh to get the day going
0: 91 years old i mean legacy on the field off the field i mean one heck of a life i mean
3: come on i if 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 you said hey 91 years will you sign off on that i'd sign off on that right now and not just the number of years but the way you lived them and um you know, Longevity is something that is a dying breed in today's coach. And for one guy to be coaching for 60 years and at one institution for over 50 is, I think, a legacy that's left. I'm not downplaying the wins. They're amazing. They're the most ever. That's right? amazing. But the way he did it and the manner in which he committed himself to one school is frankly in in part why we're here.
0: How many conversations did you have with him over the years? I mean, 06, 07, 08, 09, I mean, competed against him a number of years. Uh,
3: several before I got hired here. And <laughs> we used to talk fairly regularly because I was always, you know, I, I was a D- Division three guy, and I played at Ithaca and Coach Butterfield, who's a Hall of Fame coach, won three national championships. My coach knew Coach Gallardi a little bit. And um, while we were at North Dakota State and South Dakota, and even McAllister, he, he'd absolutely returned calls. But then I got the job here in 08, and I haven't heard from him since. other than been a post-game handshake. But, you know, he's, he's the reason why our league is what it is. And frankly, if people really want to take the time to look into it, he's probably the reason why Division Three football in the Midwest is in part, in part, uh, what it is. And, you know, I've said many times, as, as teams, people continue to ask us about the league and, and the different teams in the league. And I, I always say, um, I believe like a harbor, a rising tide raises all boats. And I believe that. And Coach Gillardi raised all boats in this league for 50 years. And if anyone in this league is having any sort of success or even enjoyment in in this league you've got to at least pay homage to the fact that it's probably because of what coach Gallardi did half a century ago
0: any game any couple games stand out in particular when you guys went head-to-head uh
3: well i, I um the, the 11 game only because i i kind of felt like it might be our last against each other it was here um we ended up winning the game and i saw a coach after the game and um uh, he just he didn't look good, and I thought that might be the last time. So I remember vividly standing right there on the field and saying this might be the ever—the last time that I get to, to coach against Coach Gillardi But, but uh, we coached against each other in 2012 up there, and that was also a fun one. Um, you know, I, I just, you hear all the stories, right? And so he, he has such, he was such an amazing storyteller. I think that's what endeared a lot of people to him. Um, but when you really strip back all those stories and you get a chance to just sit down and chat with the guy, uh, when, when you do get that opportunity, it's pretty amazing at how, uh, I think Mike Grant said it well. I mean, football was his canvas, and uh, and his art was going to be his art no matter what. I think, I think he could have left a similar legacy, whether he taught ballet or taught gym class or whatever it was. It just so happened that the medium that he used was football, and um, I'm proud to say that I had an opportunity to coach on the same field
0: with him. Can you imagine how emotional Saturday will be up there?
3: No, um, I, I can't, nor do I deserve that, because I didn't have an opportunity to, to you know, play for a guy like that. But I have lost coaches that were very uh, relative to me, very much like the coaches are talking about. Uh, the people who played for him talking about Coach Gallardi, and uh, I can imagine it's going to be tremendously emotional. But um, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know John intimately, but I'm pretty sure he would have said, "Ah, let's let's get on with this game and let's play for the next three hours. You don't got to worry about anything else except this game." And I think a lot of people would probably agree with that.
0: You guys have played going back a number of years. You guys have won, what, seven of the last nine. Why all the success against St. John's?
3: I think a lot of what we do is credited to John and some of the other coaches. You know, two weeks ago uh, we were up at Concordia. We had a nice game up there, and and they were honoring a championship team. And we had the chance to talk to Coach Christofferson, who was the coach then. And I think a lot of these coaches today, if you care to look at it, the success that you're having is because you might have paid attention to some amazing legends like John Gilardi, like Coach Christopherson, and many others throughout the league. And again, um, if, if you really want to be honest, I mean, I know, I, I get it. I'm not stupid. I'm at St. Thomas, and other people are St. John's, and they want to l- draw lines of demarcation on how different we are. But if you really peel it back, there are far more similarities than there are differences. And there are people that are going to be out there, naysayers, that say, oh, baloney. Too I'm telling you, there's a lot of similarities and the way that coach Gallardi demonstrated you can win and i mean he dominated he dominated this league for the better part of 30 years and um, sometimes nowadays you have success for two or three years and you're like oh that team's too good he did it for like 30 years and uh, he really showed a lot of coaches the way if they cared to take a look at it and his way was pretty impressive
0: isn't the obvious comparison that you guys are two of the best programs in d3
3: I don't know, but if if it is, I think one makes the other better. I do believe that in my heart of hearts, and that's one of the reasons why I've always had great respect for Coach Gallardi, and I continue to have great respect for Coach Fashing and what he does.
0: On your team, anything you know about your team now that you didn't know before the season?
3: Um, I think we're maybe a little bit more mature, and I'm not saying I I thought we were immature, but I thought we've gelled a little quicker than others. I think a lot of that is because of the extended spring we had in our foreign tours and the time we got to spend together. I think we probably, although we enjoy the things and we have fun we enjoy them and have fun after after the play after the series after the game and they're very acutely focused on working and what i'm seeing is that a lot of our kids are the accountability is at an all-time high for us so you know there were years doogie where sometimes i had to yell at everything for for every little situation and now when A starter can yell at a backup for not doing something, or a senior can make sure that they get a younger guy on on the right page without having a coach to step in. That's accountability, that's love, and that's what we're built on at a pretty high level right now.
0: You knew the offense was this good? I mean, I'm looking at just total points. I mean, 270 spots already this year?
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, we've uh, part of that is because there's seven non-offensive touchdowns that we've scored. So a lot of kick returns, a lot of interception returns, and I think we've been we've been probably more ball control than we have in years past. Um, Coach Carp and the offensive coaches are doing a great job, but athletically I think we have guys in the right spots. Fortunately for us, there's not a lot of seniors on the offense, um, but again, that extended spring really afforded us an opportunity of getting to know each other. Uh, it, not as a person, but as a football Player and the little nuances, and we're really seeing that on
0: Saturdays. Thank you to Glenn Caruso, St. Thomas football coach, for joining the Scoop Podcast. I'll save those other notes I had jotted down. Nothing overly pressing. I think the Twins managerial notes were pressing, so I wanted to make sure I got those out. Plus, heck, I mean, for the most part, at least people that follow me on Twitter, listen to this podcast, run into me out and about. I mean, the question I'm getting asked more than anything is about Jimmy Butler. So I figured, hey, Devote a good portion of this podcast to Jimmy, and you know what? For my sake, hopefully Jimmy's here for the next two or three months. Give me something to talk about, right? Jimmy being here would be one heck of a storyline, but also when the trade happens, that will be a storyline as well as the Wolves' transition, not only for this year, but for the coming years, because clearly I think more change is coming. It's inevitable, whether it's mid-season, end of the season, but more change is coming. So the Wolves certainly provide Plenty of fodder. Always appreciate you checking out the Scoop Podcast. Thank you so much.
4: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold?